So you see up there is a picture of a candy machine. And when was it? Yesterday marked my 16th anniversary at Chandler Street, which um, I've, I've loved being here uh, for, for these past 16 years. But before I came here, about two years before I came here, I and one of my friends ran a candy company, a vending business. And we had candy machines in several different locations over in Dallas. And then both of us moved to East Texas. And we moved our candy companies to several locations here in East Texas, in Kilgore and Longview. And it was uh, supposed to be a great uh, what they call a turnkey investment, where uh, all you would do is you put candy in the machine once a month, and the machines would be your workers, and they didn't charge you anything, they just worked for you, and you'd come and get piles of money. That was the plan. But there were some things that we did. Sometimes we didn't give the business the love and appreciation it needed. Matter of fact, we sometimes didn't always go every month to pick up the candy because you kind of get disappointed when the candy wasn't wasn't all emptied from the machine. Sometimes we didn't clean out the machines like they would uh, that like they needed. I once had this machine in a marble cutting uh, company, and I don't know if you've ever been to a place that cuts marble, but whatever they use, the the chemicals they use to cut through the marble. Uh, they make all the M&Ms taste bad in machines. Uh, it, it, it permeates everywhere. And so the owner of the place says, these M&Ms don't taste very good. And I was like, no, no, they're, they're, they're fine. Trust me, I use brand new M&Ms. And then I tasted one and it tasted like, I don't know, I guess you can go and taste your marble countertop one day. It doesn't taste very good. Uh, whatever it is, it was not good. We did not give the time and effort it needed to make this business a profitable, good business, and eventually we just sold it to some other sucker that uh, took over the candy. Maybe, maybe he spent the time for it. You see, if we love something, if we want something to work good for us, we got to give it our love, we got to give it our time. We can't just expect anything to be a turnkey operation, like what's supposed to be in the candy company. It was just supposed to be turnkey, but... You got to give it a little bit more time than that. And that's true with the church. The church uh, needs your love. The church needs your time. The church needs your commitment if it's going to flourish. And if we don't give it that, if we just expect it to, to the, for us just to come here and, and it all happen and, and, and we leave on Sunday morning, we think, oh, that, that everything's good. The church is going to end up much like this little candy company. It's not going to work out very well. It needs our time. It needs our love. It needs our commitment. And that's where we are in our study today. Paul making sure that the church sees his love, sees that he gives it his time, sees that he is committed to it. And so the last couple Sundays, we've been on Acts chapter 16 and and. I didn't plan to spend this much time in Acts chapter 16, but it has so many incredible stories about the church and Paul's mission to the church and his devotion to the church. And so that's where we are today. 
We're still in the church in Philippi. And if you remember last week, if you were here, or if you listened online, you saw that, that, that Paul was in prison because of, he was preaching the gospel. He, he, uh, he cast a, a evil spirit out of a, out of a young lady who was making people money. The people didn't like that because they lost their, their, their little gravy train of money. And so they threw Paul in prison illegally. Paul sang praises to God. He prayed to God. God saw his faith. God answered his prayer and he freed him from the prison. And a matter of fact, he didn't only free him from the prison, but. He allowed the jailer to hear those prayers. Hear those songs and the jailer wanted to be saved and the jailer and his whole household were baptized that day and received salvation. So here we are in Acts chapter 16, verse 35. It says when it was daylight. The magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Paul was faithful to God. In the circuit, in bad circumstances, when he was beaten, when he was thrown in prison, Paul remains faithful. He prayed to God. He sang to God. And now God answered his prayer. He was ready for him to go home. But Paul is not ready to go home. The magistrate said that Paul can leave, but Paul is not ready. He still had some more stuff to do. And so Paul says to the officers in verse 37, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly. No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. I would think if it's me and I just dodged this bullet, or I guess in Paul's case, dodged the sword, I would be ready to get out of that town. They said, you're free to go. And Paul should, and Silas and all his guys should have just said, all right, let's go. But Paul doesn't do that. Matter of fact, Paul realizes what they did to him was illegal And Paul has rights and he is going to use those rights. He is going to invoke his rights at this time. And we as Americans, we we want our rights to be upheld, right? Most of us, most of us are are very, uh, are very, are very uh, assertive that we have rights and the government doesn't have the right to do this or that to us, right? We like our rights. We call people out. If they go against our rights. And so what's interesting is when are we called to. Invoke our rights. Or when are we called to maybe be silent? Because Paul doesn't always just say, I have a right, I'm a Roman citizen. He doesn't always do that. Matter of fact, when he's getting beaten before, why didn't he say it then? Why was it at the end? First thing we need to see is what rights were violated with Paul. And Paul says he is a Roman citizen. And so the rights that were violated were that Paul was not allowed to be beaten as a Roman citizen. He wasn't allowed to be thrown in prison without a public trial. Those were Paul's rights. 
When we think of the scriptures, we, we think of someone that was, had their rights violated. Well, if you think of Jesus Christ, who was thrown in what they would call a kangaroo court overnight, not really a public trial, and sentenced to death. Rome didn't have to pay any penalty for that because Jesus was not a Roman citizen. So Rome was allowed to crucify Jesus. He, they were allowed to beat Jesus. They were allowed to throw him in prison if they want. They didn't matter. But Paul was a different case. Paul had rights. And a matter of fact, what is going on in the people's minds and why this is such a big deal is because there was a court case that everyone of that time especially the Roman citizens, would have known about. And this was a very uh, interesting case, and this was the, a case that people would reflect on quite often. And this was the case of Cicero versus Gaius Verus. And most of us might not have even ever heard of this, this court case, but this is important to them. Now, Cicero was a prosecutor for uh, the Roman Empire. And he is prosecuting this man, Gaius Verus, which was a governor over Sicily at the time. And one of the things about being a governor over a certain area is you got a lot of money. We understand that with Pilate, he would collect taxes from people and sometimes he would oppress people and take their taxes. But you had to be very careful of taxing, overtaxing and oppressing Roman citizens, because if you did... That's not going to look good to Rome. Rome was supposed to take care of their own citizens. They abused slaves, they abused foreigners, but they took care of their own citizens for the most part. And Gaius Verus was abusive of his power. And so he is now on trial. And on his trial, it was because he took this man named uh, Publius Gavius, a Roman citizen from Sicily, and he crucified him. And as Publius is being crucified, he's on the cross facing his homeland of Italy. And he is saying, I am a Roman citizen. And so this is the English version of Cicero's argument against Gaius Ferris. It says he was a Roman citizen crucified facing his own home for the express purpose that the wretched man who was dying in agony and torture, might see the rights of liberty and slavery were only separated by a narrow strait. And that Italy might behold her son murdered by the most miserable, the most painful punishment appropriate to slaves alone. It was a crime to bind a Roman citizen, to scourge him in wickedness, to put him to death is almost unimaginable. So guilty in action cannot be possible. Uh, any possibility be adequately expressed by any name bad enough for it. And you exposed him to torture and nailed him on that cross. The first thing I, I think of as as I read that description of someone being persecuted, someone being killed on the cross is Romans would not do that to their own citizens because of how heinous a crime it would be to do it on your own people. And our Lord and Savior was nailed to the cross. An action that was so heinous that, that he would say, how it's, it, it, the prosecutor of Rome said, this is an unimaginable thing that you would do to someone. Yet we did that to our Lord. 
That happened to our Savior. The Romans wouldn't do that to their own people and they saw that Cicero, uh, that, that Gaius Verus did it to Publius. Publius is on the cross and he is saying, I'm a Roman citizen. And Gaius Verus is guilty of this crime. And Mark Antony, which we probably heard from stories in history, who was the leader of the country at that time, he now executes Gaius Verus. So what, do we, what does all that history lesson do for us? It teaches us that the people of Rome, the citizens of Rome, had a battle cry that they could call out when their leaders weren't treating them right. And their battle cry is, I am a Roman citizen, reminding them if they treat a Roman citizen poorly, they could be in trouble by Rome. It's a battle cry that, that, that was said throughout the land, and this is the battle cry Paul says, and we know what battle cries are. We, matter of fact, we still use battle cries from long ago. We remember the little flag, come and take it, right? When our government tries to enforce what we say is things against our rights, we might say that word, come and take it, right? We understand that. That's how they understood, I am a Roman citizen. And this is what Paul's saying. Matter of fact, this starts to put some fear in the magistrates. In verse 38, it says, the, the officers reported to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with their brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. You see, Paul and Silas had their rights. The government was nervous because they knew their rights were violated. They didn't want Rome to come down hard on them. And so they went out to appease them. They were nice to them. They told them, please leave our city. Now, did Paul have to leave the city? No, he had every right to be there. But Paul chooses to leave the city but not before he goes to Lydia's house. And that's where the church met. They were a house church. They went, didn't meet in a building. They met in a house or down by the river. And Paul preaches to them and encourages them and lets them know things are going to be okay. And why does Paul do this? Why did Paul invoke the rights? Because earlier on in the story, earlier on, the people before they put him in prison in Acts 16:20 says these men were Jews or these men are Jews and throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice and so basically what the people were saying is these are foreigners coming with an illegal religion coming and trying to up uh turn our city upside down but now Paul's showing the the city leaders He's not just a Jew. He is a Roman citizen that's bringing this religion to them. And it's not a new religion. It's a legal religion. He is bringing the idea of Judaism, but not just Judaism in the little form that they knew it. Paul is giving the full story. You see, the Old Testament and the New Testament are not two different stories. The New Testament is the fulfillment of all the things in the Old Testament, right? 
So Judaism is always talking about Jesus. Jesus was always there in the Old Testament. He was always this Messiah that was going to come and redeem the, the, the people of this earth. And that's the fulfillment. So Judaism has just the beginning, but it doesn't have the fulfillment take place yet. And so Paul's saying this is a legal religion and the city has to accept that. And it didn't come from foreigners, but it came from a Roman citizen. So the city accepts that. And so Paul is able to leave this church, this new church. In good hands, that they're not going to be persecuted. They're going to be allowed to practice their faith. So Paul goes because he knows if he stays, it's going to be too much of a, a, a hindrance to that church. But Paul doesn't just leave them and abandon them. He probably leaves Luke at the time with them. Later on, he'll send Timothy to them. And then he will write them as they're growing as a church. And that's where we get the book of Philippians. It's a letter that Paul writes while he's in prison to this church. And one of the things that Paul wants them to realize is they need to be unified together as the church. Paul loved the church in Philippi. He absolutely loved it and he wants them to thrive. And so that's where he writes in Philippians chapter one. I love how Paul starts this letter to them, especially because I now know and we all now know who he's talking to, the the characters that he's talking to in this letter. Philippians one one says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ to God's holy people, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. See, this church is growing. Now they have elders. Now they have deacons. They're growing and they're, they have they have people that are working, spreading the gospel. It says, grace and peace to you from our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When Paul says that, he says, I pray with joy and thanksgiving for you because how good you were to me from the first day until now, from your partnership from the first day until now. And what is he talking about? Well, that first day, he meets Lydia and Lydia takes him and his 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 uh, people in. And they're able to spread the gospel. He's talking to the jailer that feeds him and washes his wounds. And then all these other people that we don't know about. But have supported his ministry that have partnered with him in sharing the gospel. He's so thankful to them. He's thankful to this church. For all that they've done. So I want us to think about when we think about our congregation, that's the congregation, Philippi, the the church, the kingdom of God is is big. But then we have our own individual congregations. And when we think about our church here at Chandler Street. Do we have that same love that Paul had for his people then? Do we have that same love and desire to partnership partner in the gospel and spreading the message? Because this is what Paul is teaching us. This is the type of love that he has. And Paul is going to go on in this letter and he's going to tell us a little bit of what it's like to have a love for the church. And I think we need to look at this. 
and see what Paul is saying to them and then apply it to our own lives. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart with Christ, which is far better. But it's more necessary that I remain. It's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, Paul's in prison and Paul knows that his execution is eventually going to get there because Paul's kind of a controversial figure to people. And he knows that if he's executed, the worst thing that's going to happen is he's going to be with Jesus. And he says, that's the greatest thing that could happen to me. And then we have a decision to make. Is it better for us just to be with God? Is that all we're living for is to be with God to one day be eternally in heaven? And that's a great thing that awaits us. But he's trying to remind us. that There's a lot more here. While we're on this earth, and what is Paul saying is important for him to be on this earth? And why is it more important for him to be here? It's because he can be fruitful with who? The body, the church. You see, we have this responsibility while we're here on this on this earth to care for our family. We have our own family that that that, that we we grow up with, right? And our family that 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 we go home to. But I think that's just a little image that God gives us to show us the true family, the spiritual family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a responsibility to be devoted to one another in love, sharing our life together. This is fun. It gives us joy. And this is what Paul is saying is. If you enjoy your time with the body. If you spend time with the body, if you spend time with the church, if you're committed to the the church, if you're unified as a church, you're going to experience joy, the joy that he sees. And the way we do this is we follow the example that Christ gave us. And that's why it goes over to Philippians chapter two. Chapter two, verse one, it says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. That's what he's talking about. Being united with Christ. United in the body. United as his church. If you have any comfort from his love. If any common sharing in the spirit. If any tenderness and compassion. Then make my joy complete. By being like minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit. And of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility. Value others above yourself. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. You know, I think that's something that we can look at, that we can look at for the world. Being one body, one spirit for the world. that's That's a nice mindset, but it's specifically talking here. We can apply it to worldly things, but specifically he's talking to the church. Being like minded, being together. Spending time together. And that's what gives Paul joy. That's how he can write these letters with such excitement while he's in prison. Because of the joy that the church gives him. The joy that the church gives him because he knows that we're being like Christ. That we're all together in this tough world. Last weekend, we got to uh, 
sing in our neighborhood under the pavilion and those that got to do that. It was a great time. It was a great experience. It was it was warm outside, but it was nice under the shade of the pavilion. We got to do it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that brought me joy to do that. Our time together should bring joy. And that's what next Sunday is about is that's why we're bringing a a Christian comedian out there just to give us joy and encouragement, especially as these kids are having to go back to school. I'm so glad I don't go back to school. We want joy. We want encouragement. We want to do this together. And I'd encourage you to be part of that. That's what the church does together. We share meals together. We're part of each other's life. It doesn't just have to be on activities of Sunday, but spending time together outside of this Sunday morning. What do we always need to remember? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we want to do what we want to do. But we need to remember to put the needs or the, the, the needs that God has for us to live this mission first in our lives. And when we have relationships with each other, we need to remember how Jesus had a relationship with us. That's why he says in Philippians chapter five or chapter two, verse five. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. When we humble ourselves, when we put others needs above ourselves. God will exalt us. We won't be exalted above Jesus, but we'll be exalted to his throne one day. We'll get to spend eternity with him one day. But until then, we get to have relationships with each other. And as you see right there, that's a little picture of three fantastic ladies right there. Having a good time together. Serving the Lord together. Singing praises in our neighborhood together. And then enjoying nice little watermelon meal together. That's what the church is all about. That's joy. That's encouragement. That helps us on these tough, difficult road that we follow until one day we are with God. In order to do that, we've got to look and see what's going on in each other's lives. What's interesting in, in Philippians, they have the same problems that we have here in this, this earth. We have disagreements with one another in the church. And that's what happened in, in, in the church in Philippi. Matter of fact, it talks about these two ladies. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Now I appeal to Judea and Sintichi, because you belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard for me in telling others the good news. And so that's just a little side note kind of in this letter. That there are going to be disagreements, but when we have disagreements, what should we do? Work them out. Because we have a bigger goal in mind. 
That's to be the church of Christ. That's that we can go out into our neighborhood and reach and teach. And the way we can reach and teach better is whenever people see that we're united with each other, that we care for each other, that we look out for one another, that we put people's needs above our desires, that we put the needs of the church above our desires, and we are a full functioning church. When we give the church time, when we give it our love, our church is going to grow and it's going to do incredible things. When we treat it like I treated my candy company, church isn't going to last long. The church needs people that are devoted to one another, that are devoted to the mission of God. That remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And we just want that message out to this world. If you want that message in your own life, if you want to be devoted to God's church, but you've never made that commitment to be baptized into him, to die to yourself and be raised with him. You can do that today. You can be baptized into Jesus Christ and become part of his church. Or if you've already done that and you just need a little help, a little boost in helping out the church and being more devoted to the church and being more devoted to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you can do that as well. If you need our help, whatever you need, please come while we stand and sing. Great, Roger.